CD 9. One of life's little certainties, said Susan, standing on the edge of the museum's parapet, is that there is generally a last chocolate hidden in all those empty wrappers. Then she reached down and grabbed the top of a drainpipe. She wasn't certain how this would work. If she fell, but would she fall? There was no time to fall. She had her own personal time. In theory, if anything so definite as a theory existed in a case like this, that meant she could just drift down to the ground. But the time to test a theory like that was when you had no other choice. A theory was just an idea, but a drainpipe was a fact. The blue light flickered around her hands. Lobsang, she said quietly. It is you, isn't it? That name is as good as any for us. The voice was as faint as a breath. This may seem a stupid question, but where are you? We are just a memory, and I am weak. Oh, Susan slid a little further, but I will grow strong. Get to the clock. What's the point? There was nothing we could do. Times have changed. Susan reached the ground. Lady Lejean followed, moving clumsily. Her evening dress had acquired several more tears. "'Can I offer a fashion tip?' said Susan. "'It would be welcomed,' said her ladyship politely. "'Long cerise bloomers with that dress? Not a good idea.' "'No, they are very colourful and quite warm. What should I have chosen instead?' "'With that cut, practically nothing.' That would have been acceptable. Um, Susan blanched at unfolding the complex laws of lingerie to someone who wasn't even, she felt, anybody. To anyone likely to find out, yes, she finished. It would take too long to explain. Lady Lejean sighed. All of it does, she said, even clothing. Skin substitutes to preserve body heat so simple, so easy to say but there are so many rules and exceptions impossible to understand. Susan looked along Broadway. It was thick with silent traffic, but there was no sign of an auditor. We'll run into more of them, she said aloud. Yes, there will be hundreds at least, said Lady de Jean. Why? Because we have always wondered what life is like. Then let's get up into Zephyr Street, said Susan. What is there for us? Wienrich and Bircher. Who are they? I think the original Herr Wienrich and Frau Bircher died a long time ago, but the shop still does very good business, said Susan, darting across the street. We need ammunition. Lady Lejean caught up. Oh, they make chocolate, she said. Does a bear poo in the woods, said Susan, and realised her mistake straight away. Teaching small children for any length of time can do this to a vocabulary. Too late. Lady Lejean looked thoughtful for a moment. Yes she said at last. Yes, I believe that most varieties do indeed excrete, as you suggest, at least in the temperate zones, but there are several that... I meant to say that, yes, they make chocolate, said Susan. Vanity, vanity, thought Lute saying, as the milk cart rattled through the silent city. Ronnie would have been like a god, and people of that stripe don't like hiding. Not really hiding. They like to leave a little clue... Some emerald tablet somewhere, some code in some tomb under the desert. Something to say to the keen researcher, I was here, 
and I was great. What else had the first people been afraid of? Night, maybe? Cold? Bears? Winter? Stars? The endless sky? Spiders? Snakes? One another. People had been afraid of so many things. He reached into his pack for the battered copy of The Way and opened it at random. Koan 97. Do unto otters as you would have them do unto you. Hmm. No real help there. Besides, he'd occasionally been unsure that he'd written that one down properly, although it had certainly worked. He'd always left aquatic mammals well alone, and they had done the same to him. He tried again. Koan 124. It's amazing what you see if you keep your eyes open. What's the book, monk? said Ronnie. I'll just a little book, said Lutze. He looked around. The cart was passing a funeral parlour. The owner had invested in a large plate glass window, even though the professional undertaker does not, in truth, have that much to sell that looks good in a window, and they usually make do with dark, sombre drapes and perhaps a tasteful urn. And the name of the fifth horseman. Ha! said Lutze quietly. Something funny, monk. Obvious when you come to think about it, said Lutze, as much to himself as to Ronnie. Then he turned in his seat and stuck out his hand. Pleased to meet you, he said. Let me guess your name. And said it. Susan had been unusually inexact. To call Wienrich and Bircher chocolate makers was like calling Leonard of Querm a decent painter who also tinkered with things, or death, not someone you'd want to meet every day. It was accurate, but it didn't tell the whole story. For one thing, they didn't make, they created. There's an important difference, up to $10 a pound usually. And while their select little shop sold the results, it didn't do anything so crass as to fill the window with them. That would suggest... Well, over-eagerness. Generally, W and B had a display of silk and velvet drapes, with, on a small stand, perhaps one of their special pralines, or no more than three of their renowned frosted caramels. There was no price tag. If you had to ask the price of W and B's chocolates, you couldn't afford them. And if you tasted one, and still couldn't afford them, You'd save and scrimp and rob and sell elderly members of your family for just one more of those mouthfuls that fell in love with your tongue and turned your soul to whipped cream. There was a discreet drain in the pavement in case people standing in front of the window drooled too much. Wienrich and Bircher were, naturally, foreigners, and according to Ank Morpork's Guild of Confectioners, they did not understand the peculiarities of the city's taste buds. Ank Morpork people, said the Guild, were hearty, no-nonsense folk who did not want chocolate that was stuffed with cocoa liquor and were certainly not effete lardida foreigners who wanted cream in everything. In fact, they actually preferred chocolate made mostly from milk, sugar, suet, hooves, lips, miscellaneous squeezings, rat droppings, plaster, flies, tallow, bits of tree, hair, lint, spiders and powdered cocoa husks. This meant that according to the food standards of the great chocolate centres in Borogravia and Querm, Ank Morpork chocolate was formerly classed as cheese, and only escaped through being the wrong colour 
being defined as tile grout. Susan allowed herself one of their cheaper boxes per month, and she could easily stop at the first layer if she wanted to. You needn't come in, she said as she opened the shop door. Rigid customers lined the counter. Please call me Miriam. I don't think I... Please, said Lady Lejean meekly, a name is important. Suddenly, in spite of everything, Susan felt a brief pang of sympathy for the creature. Oh, very well. Miria, you needn't come in. I can stand it. But I thought chocolate was a raging temptation, said Susan, being firm with herself. It is. They stared up at the shelves behind the counter. Miria, Miria, said Susan, speaking only some of her thoughts aloud. From the Ephibian word Mirios, meaning innumerable, and Le Jean is a crude pun of legion. Oh, dear. We thought that a name should say what a thing is, said her ladyship, and there is safety in numbers. I'm sorry. Well, these are their basic assortments, said Susan, dismissing the shop display with a wave of her hand. Let's try the back room. Are you all right? I'm fine. I am fine murmured Lady Lejean, swaying. "'You're not going to pig out on me, are you?' "'We... I... know... about willpower. The body craves the chocolate, but the mind does not. At least so I tell myself. And it must be true. The mind can overrule the body. Otherwise, what is it for?' "'I've often wondered,' said Susan, pushing open another door. "'Ah, the magician's cave. Magic? They use magic here?' Nearly right. Lady Lejean leaned on the door frame for support when she saw the tables. Oh, she said, oh, I can't detect sugar, milk, butter, cream, vanilla, hazelnuts, almonds, walnuts, raisins, orange peel, various liqueurs, citrus pectin, strawberries, raspberries, essence of violets, cherries, pineapples, pistachios, oranges, limes, lemons, coffees, cocoa... "'Nothing there to be frightened of, right?' said Susan, surveying the workshop for useful weaponry. "'Cocoa is just a rather bitter bean, after all.' "'Yes, but—' Lady Lejean clenched her fists, shut her eyes and bared her teeth. "'Put them all together and they make—' "'Steady, steady. "'The will can overrule the emotions. "'The will can overrule the instincts,' the auditor intoned. "'Good, good. "'Now just work your way up to the bit where it says chocolate, okay?' "'That's the hard one!' In fact, it seemed to Susan, as she walked past the vats and counters, that chocolate lost some of its attraction when you saw it like this. It was the difference between seeing the little heaps of pigment and seeing the whole picture. She selected a syringe that seemed designed to do something intensely personal to female elephants, although she decided that here it was probably used for doing the wiggly bits of decoration. And over here was a small vat of cocoa liquor. She stared around at the trays and trays of fondant, creams, marzipans and caramels. Oh, and here was an entire table of soul-cake eggs. But they weren't the hollow-shelled, cardboard-tasting presents for children. Oh, no. These were the confectionery equivalent of fine, intricate jewellery. Out of the corner of her eye she saw movement. One of the statue-like workers bent over her tray of praline dreams was shifting almost imperceptibly. 
time was flowing into the room. Pale blue light glinted in the air. She turned and saw a vaguely human figure hovering beside her. It was featureless and as transparent as mist, but in her head it said, "'I'm stronger. You are my anchor, my link to this world. Can you guess how hard it is to find it again in so many? Get me to the clock.' Susan turned and thrust the icing syringe into the arms of groaning Miria. "'Grab that, and make some kind of sling or something. I want you to be carrying as many of those chocolate eggs as possible. And the creams, and the liqueurs, understand? You can do it.' "'Oh, God, there was no alternative. The poor thing needed some kind of morale boost. "'Please, Miria, and that's a stupid name. You're not many, you're one, OK? Just be yourself. Unity!' That'd be a good name. The new unity raised a mascara-streaked face. Yes, it is. It's a good name. Susan snatched as much merchandise as she could carry, aware of some rustling behind her, and turned to find unity, standing to attention, holding by the look of it, a benchworth of assorted confectionery in... a sort of big cerise sack. Oh, good. "'Intelligence use of the materials to hand,' said Susan weakly. "'Then the teacher within her cut in and added, "'I hope you brought enough for everybody.' "'You were the first, said Lutze. "'You basically created the whole business. "'Innovative you were.' "'That was then,' said Ronnie Soak. "'It's all changed now.' "'Not like it used to be,' agreed Lutze. "'Take death,' said Ronnie Soak. "'Impressive, I'll grant you.' And who doesn't look good in black? But, after all, death, what's death? Just a big sleep, said Lutze. Just a big sleep, said Ronnie Soak. As for the others, war? If war's so bad, why do people keep doing it? Practically a hobby, said Lutze. He began to roll himself a cigarette. Practically a hobby, said Ronnie Soak. As for famine and pestilence, well... Enough said, said Lutze sympathetically. Exactly. I mean, famine's a fearful thing, obviously. In an agricultural community, but you've got to move with the times, said Lutze, putting the roll-up in his mouth. You've put your finger right on it. You've got to move with the times. I mean, does your average city person fear famine? No, he thinks food grows in shops, said Lutze. He was beginning to enjoy this. He had 800 years worth of experience in steering the thoughts of his superiors and most of them had been intelligent. He decided to strike out a little. "'Fire now. City folk really fear fire,' he said. "'That's new. Your primitive villager, he reckoned fire was a good thing, didn't he? Kept the wolves away. If it burned down his hut, well, logs and turf are cheap enough. But now he lives in a street of crowded wooden houses, and everyone's cooking in their rooms, well.' Ronnie glared. "'Fire! Fire! That's just a demigod!' Some little tea-leaf pinches the flame from the gods and suddenly he's immortal. You call that training and experience? A spark leapt from his fingers and ignited the end of Lutze's cigarette. And as for the gods... Johnny come lately's the back of them, said Lutze quickly. Right. People started worshipping them because they were afraid of me, said Ronnie. Did you know that? No, really, said Lutze innocently. But now Ronnie sagged. That was then, of course, he said. "'It's different now. I'm not what I used to be.' "'No, no, obviously not, no,' said Lutze soothingly. "'But it's all a matter of how you look at it. Am I correct? 
Now, supposing a man, that is to say a anthropomorphic personification, said Ronnie Soak, but I've always preferred the term avatar. Lutze's brow wrinkled. You fly around a lot, he said. That would be aviator. Sorry, well, supposing an avatar, thank you, who was perhaps a bit ahead of his time thousands of years ago, well, supposing he took a good look around now, he might just find the world is ready for him again. Lutze waited. My abbot now, he reckons you are the bee's knees, he said, for a little reinforcement. Does he? said Ronnie Soak suspiciously. Bee's knees, cat's pyjamas and dog's elbows, Lutze finished. He's written scrolls and scrolls about you, says you are hugely important in understanding how the universe works. Yeah, but he's just one man, said Ronnie Soak with all the sullen reluctance of someone cuddling a lifetime's huge snit like a favourite soft toy. Technically, yes, said Lutze, but he's an abbot, and brainy? He thinks such big thoughts he needs a second lifetime just to finish them off. Let a lot of peasants fear famine, I say, but someone like you should aim for quality. And you look at the cities now. Back in the old days, there were just heaps of mud bricks with names like Ur and U and Ag. These days there's millions of people living in cities, very, very complicated cities. Just you think about what they really, really fear. And fear, well, fear is belief, hmm? There was another long pause. Well, all right, but, Ronnie began, of course they won't be living in them very long because by the time the grey people have finished taking them to pieces to see how they work, there won't be any belief left. My God. Customers do depend on me, Ronnie Soak mumbled. What customers? That's Soak speaking, said Lutze. That's not the voice of Chaos. Ha! said Chaos bitterly. You haven't told me yet how you worked that one out. Because I've got more than three brain cells and you're vain and you painted your actual name back to front on your cart, whether you knew it or not, and a dark window is a mirror, and K and S are still recognisable in their reflection, even when they're back to front, thought Lutze. But that wasn't a good way forward. It was just obvious, he said. You sort of shine through. It's like putting a sheet over an elephant. You might not be able to see it, but you're sure the elephant's still there. Chaos looked wretched. I don't know, he said. It's been a long time. Oh, and I thought you said you were number one, said Lutze, deciding on a new approach. Sorry, still, I suppose it's not your fault. You've lost a few skills over the centuries. What, we've one thing and... Lost skills? snapped Chaos, waving a finger under the sweeper's nose. I could certainly take you to the cleaners, you little maggot. What with, a dangerous yoghurt? said Lutze, climbing off the cart. Chaos leapt down after him. "'Where'd you get off talking to me like that?' he demanded. Lutze glanced up. "'Corner of Merchant and Broadway,' he said. "'So what?' Chaos roared. He tore off his striped apron and his white cap. He seemed to grow in size. Darkness evaporated off him like smoke. Lutze folded his hands and grinned. "'Remember rule one,' he said. "'Rules! Rules! I'm Chaos!' "'Who was the first? said Lutze. "'Yes!' "'Creator and Destroyer!' Right. 
apparently complicated, apparently patternless behaviour that nevertheless has a simple deterministic explanation and is a key to the new levels of understanding of the multidimensional universe. You'd better believe it. What? Got to move with the times, mister. Got to keep up, shouted Lutze excitedly, hopping from foot to foot. You're what people think you are, and they've changed you. I hope you're good at Sam's. You can't tell me what to do, Chaos roared. I'm Chaos! You don't think so? Well, your big comeback ain't gonna happen now that the auditors have taken over. They're rules, mister. That's what they are. They're cold, dead rules. Silver lightning flickered in the walking cloud that had once been Ronnie. Then cloud, cart and horse vanished. Well, could have been worse, I suppose, said Lutze to himself. Not a very bright lad, really. Possibly a bit too old-fashioned. He turned around and found a crowd of auditors watching him. There were dozens of them. He sighed and grinned his sheepish little grin. He'd had just about enough one day. "'Well, I expect you have heard of Rule One, right?' he said. That seemed to give them pause. One said, "'We know millions of rules, human.' "'Billions, trillions,' said another. "'Well, you can't attack me,' said Lutze, "'cause of Rule One. The nearest auditors went into a huddle. "'It must involve gravitation. "'No, quantum effects, obviously.' Logically, there cannot be a rule one, because at that point there would be no concept of plurality. But if there is not a rule one, can there be any other rules? If there is no rule one, where is rule two? There are millions of rules. They cannot fail to be numbered. Wonderful, thought Lutze. All I have to do is wait until their heads melt. But an auditor stepped forward. It looked more wild-eyed than the others, and was much more unkempt. It was also carrying an axe. "'We do not have to discuss this,' it snapped. "'We must think this is nonsense. We will not discuss it.' "'But what is rule?' an auditor began. "'You will call me Mr. White.' "'Mr. White, what is rule one?' "'I am not glad you asked that question,' screamed Mr. White.' and swung the axe. The body of the other auditor crumbled in around the blade, dissolving into floating motes that dispersed in a fine cloud. "'Anyone else got any questions?' said Mr. White, raising the axe again. One or two auditors, not yet entirely in tune with current developments, opened their mouths to speak, and shut them again. Lutze took a few steps back. He prided himself on an incredibly well-honed ability to talk his way in or out of anything— but that rather depended on a possibly sane entity being involved at the other end of the dialogue. Mr. White turned to Lutze. "'What are you doing out of your place, organic?' But Lutze was overhearing another whispered conversation. It was coming from the other side of a nearby wall, and it went like this. "'Who cares about the damned wording?' "'Accuracy is important, Susan. "'There is a precise description on the little map inside the lid. Look. "'And you think that will impress anyone? "'Please, things should be done properly. "'Oh, give it to me, then.' "'Mr. White advanced on Lutze, axe raised. "'It is forbidden to...' he began. "'Eat, oh, good grief, 
eat our delicious fondant sugar cream infused with delightfully rich and creamy raspberry filling wrapped in mysterious dark chocolate. You grey bastards. A shower of small objects pattered down on the street. Several of them broke open. Lutze heard a whine, or rather, the silence caused by the absence of a whine he'd grown used to. Oh no, I'm winding down... Trailing smoke, but looking more like a milkman again, albeit one that had just delivered to a blazing house, Ronnie Soak stormed into his dairy. "'Oh, does he think he is?' he muttered, gripping the spotless edge of a counter so hard that the metal bent. "'Ha! Oh, yeah, they just toss you aside, but when they want you to make a comeback!' Under his fingers the metal went white-hot and then dripped. "'I've got customers. I've got customers. People depend on me. It might not be a glamorous job, but people will always need milk!' He clapped a hand to his forehead. Where the molten metal touched his skin, the metal evaporated. The headache was really bad. He could remember the time when there was only him. It was hard to remember, because there was nothing. No colour, no sound, no pressure, no time, no spin, no lights, no life. Just chaos. And the thought arose, Do I want that again? The perfect order that goes with changelessness. More thoughts were following that one, like little silvery eels in his mind. He was, after all, a horseman, and had been ever since the time the people in mud cities on baking plains put together some hazy idea of something that had existed before anyone else. And a horseman picks up the noises of the world. The mud city people and the skin tent people, they'd known instinctively that the world swirled perilously through a complex and uncaring multiverse, that life was lived a mirror's thickness from the cold of space and the gulfs of night. They knew that everything they called reality, the web of rules that made life happen, was a bubble on the tide. They feared old chaos. But now... He opened his eyes and looked down at his dark, smoking hands. To the world in general, he said, Who am I now? Lutze heard his voice speed up from nothing. No, you're wound up again, said a young woman in front of him. She stood back, giving him a critical look. Lutze, for the first time in eight hundred years, felt that he'd been caught doing something wrong. It was that kind of expression, searching, rummaging around inside his head. "'You'll be Lutze, then,' said Susan. "'I'm Susan Stohelet. No time for explanations. You've been out for... well, not for long. We have to get Lobsang to the glass clock. Are you any good? Lobsang thinks you're a bit of a fraud.' "'Only a bit. I'm surprised.' Lutze looked around. What happened here? The street was empty, except for the ever-present statues. But scraps of silver paper and coloured wrappers littered the ground, and across the wall behind him was a long splash of what looked very much like chocolate icing. Some of them got away, said Susan, picking up what Lutze could only hope was a giant icing syringe. Mostly they fought with one another. Would you try to tear someone apart, just for a coffee cream? Lutze looked into those eyes. After eight hundred years, you learn how to read people, and Susan was a story that went back a very long way. She probably even knew about Rule One, and didn't care. This was someone to treat with respect, but you couldn't let even someone like her have it all their own way. "'The kind with the coffee bean on the top, or the ordinary kind,' he said. "'The kind without the coffee bean, I think,' said Susan, holding his gaze. "'No, no, 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 I don't think I would,' said Lutze. "'But they are learning,' said a woman's voice behind the sweeper. "'Some resisted. 
we can learn that's how humans became humans. Lutze regarded the speaker. She looked like a society lady who had just had a really bad day in a threshing machine. Can I just be clear here, he said, staring from one woman to the other. You've been fighting the grey people with chocolate? Yes, said Susan, peering around the corner. It's the sensory explosion. They lose control of their morphic field. Can you throw it all? Good. Unity, give him as many chocolate eggs as he can carry. The secret is to get them to land hard so that there's lots of shrapnel. And where is Lobsang? said Lutze. Him? You could say he's with us in spirit. There were blue sparkles in the air. Growing pains, I think, Susan added. Centuries of experience once again came to Lutze's aid. He always looks like a lad who needed to find himself, he said. Yes, and it came as a bit of a shock. Let's go. Death looked down at the world. Timelessness had reached the rim now, and was expanding into the universe at the speed of light. The disc world was a sculpture in crystal. Not an apocalypse. There had always been plenty of those. Small apocalypses, not the full shilling at all. Fake apocalypses, apocryphal apocalypses. Most of them had been back in the old days, when the world, as in End of the World, was often objectively no wider than a few villages and a clearing in the forest and those little worlds had ended. But there had always been somewhere else. There had been the horizon to start with. The fleeing refugees would find that the world was bigger than they'd thought. A few villages and a clearing? <laughs> How could they have been so stupid? Now they knew it was a whole island. Of course, there was that horizon again. The world had run out of horizons. As death watched, the sun stopped in its orbit, and its light became duller, redder. He sighed and nudged Binky. The horse stepped forward in a direction that could not be found on any map. And the sky was full of grey shapes. There was a ripple in the ranks of auditors as the pale horse trotted forward. One drifted towards death and hung in the air a few feet away. It said, Should you not be riding out? Do you speak for all? You know the custom, said the voice in death's mind, among us. One speaks for all. What is being done is wrong. It is not your business. Nevertheless, we are all answerable. The universe will last forever, said the voice. Everything preserved, ordered, understood, lawful, filed, changeless, a perfect world. Finished. No. It will all end one day in any case. But this is too soon. There is unfinished business. And that is? Everything. And with a flash of light, a figure, clothed all in white, appeared, holding a book in one hand. It looked, from death, to the endlessly massing ranks of the auditors and said, Oh, sorry, is this the right place? Two auditors were measuring the number of atoms in a paving slab. It existed, and therefore it had to be measured. They looked up at a movement. Ah, oh, good afternoon, said Lutze. May I draw your attention to the notice my assistant is holding up? Susan held up the sign. It read, Mouths must be open by order. And Lutze unfolded his hands. 
There was a caramel in each one, and he was a good shot. The mouths shut. The faces went impassive. Then there was a sound, somewhere between a purr and a wail, which disappeared into the ultrasonic. And then the auditors dissolved gently, first going fuzzy around the edges, and as the process accelerated, swiftly becoming a spreading cloud. "'Hand-to-mouth fighting,' said Lutzay. "'Why doesn't it happen to humans?' "'It nearly does,' said Susan, and when they stared at her, she blinked and said, "'Too stupid, indulgent humans, anyway.' "'You don't have to concentrate to stay the same shape,' said Unity. "'And that was the last of the caramels, by the way.' "'No, there's six in one of W&B's gold selections,' said Susan. Three have got white chocolate cream in dark chocolate, and three have got whipped cream in milk chocolate. They're the ones in the silver wrap... "'Look, I just happen to know things, all right. Let's keep going, OK? Without mentioning chocolate.' "'You have no power over us,' said the auditor. "'We are not alive.' "'But you are demonstrating arrogance, pride and stupidity.' These are emotions. I would say they are signs of life. Uh, excuse me, said the shining figure in white, but you are all alone here. Excuse me? Yes, said Death. What is it? Uh, this is the apocalypse, yes, said the shining figure petulantly. We are talking... Yes, right, but is it the apocalypse, the actual end of the actual whole world? No, said the auditor. Yes, said Death, it is. Great, said the figure. What, said the auditor. What, said Death. The figure looked embarrassed. Well, uh, not great, obviously, obviously not great as such, but it's what I'm here for, it's what I'm for, really. It held up the book. Uh, I've got the place marked already. Wow, it's been, you know, so long. Death glanced at the book. The cover and all the pages were made of iron. Realisation dawned. You are the angel, clothed all in white of the iron book from the prophecies of Tobrun, am I correct? That's right. The pages clanged as the angel hurriedly thumbed through them. And it's clothed, by the way, if you don't mind. Clothed. Just a detail, I know, but I like to get it right. What is happening here? The auditor growled. I don't know how to tell you this, said Death, ignoring the interruption. But you are not official. The pages stopped clacking. Uh, what do you mean? said the angel suspiciously. The Book of Tobrun has not been considered official church dogma for a hundred years. The prophet Brutha revealed that the whole chapter was a metaphor for a power struggle within the early church. It is not included in the revised version of the Book of Om as determined by the convocation of E. Not at all. I'm sorry. I've been thrown out, just like the damn rabbits and the big syrupy things. Yes. Even the bit where I blow the trumpet? Oh, yes. You sure? Always. But you are death, and this is the apocalypse, right? said the angel, looking wretched. So, therefore... Unfortunately, however, you are no longer a formal part of the proceedings. Out of the corner of his mind, death was observing the auditor. Auditors always listened when people spoke. The more people spoke, 
the closer to consensus every decision came, and the less responsibility anyone had. But the auditor was showing signs of impatience and annoyance. Emotions. And emotions made you alive. Death knew how to deal with the living. The angel looked around at the universe. Then what am I supposed to do? he wailed. This is what I've been waiting for, for thousands of years. He stared at the iron book. Thousands of dull, boring, wasted years, he mumbled. Have you quite finished? said the auditor. One big scene. That's all I had. That was my purpose. You wait, you practice, and then you're just edited out because brimstone is no longer a fashionable colour. Anger was infusing the bitterness in the angel's voice. No one told me, of course. He glared at the rusted pages. It ought to be pestilence next, he muttered. Am I late, then? said a voice in the night. A horse walked forward. It gleamed unhealthily, like a gangrenous wound just before the barber-surgeon would be called in with his hacksaw for a quick trim. "'I thought you weren't coming,' said Death. "'I didn't want to,' Pestilence oozed. "'But humans do get such interesting diseases. "'I'd rather like to see how weasels turn out, too.' One crusted eye winked at Death. "'You mean measles?' said the angel. "'Weasels, I'm afraid,' said Pestilence. People are getting really careless with this bio-artificing. We're talking boils that really bite. Two of you will not suffice, snarled the auditor in their heads. A horse walked out of the darkness. Some toast-racks had more flesh. I've been thinking, said a voice. Maybe there are things worth putting up a fight for. And they are, said Pestilence, looking round. "'Salad cream sandwiches. "'You just can't beat them. "'That tang of permitted emulsifiers. marvellous. "'Ah, oh, you're famine, then,' said the angel of the iron book. "'It fumbled with the heavy pages again. "'What, what, what is this nonsense of salad cream?' shouted the auditor. "'If you live in a country where the tradition calls for mayonnaise, "'just don't ask. Just don't.' Anger, thought Death, a powerful emotion. Do I like salad cream? said a voice in the dark. A second female voice replied, No, dear, it gives you hives. The horse of war was huge and red, and the heads of dead warriors hung from the saddle horn, and Mrs. War was hanging on to war grimly. All four, bingo, said the angel of the book. So much for the convocation of E. War had a woolly scarf round his neck. He looked sheepishly at the other horsemen. "'He's not to strain himself,' said Mrs. War sharply. "'And you're not to let him do anything dangerous. "'He's not as strong as he thinks, and he gets confused.' "'So the gang is all here,' said the auditor. "'Smugness,' Death noticed, and self-satisfaction. "'There was a clanging as of metal pages. "'The angel of the iron book was looking puzzled.' "'Actually, I don't think that's entirely correct,' it said. "'No one paid it any attention. "'Off you go, on your little pantomime,' said the auditor. "'And now, irony and sarcasm, thought Death. "'They must be picking it up for the ones down in the world. "'All the little things that go up to make a personality.' "'He looked along the row of horsemen. 
They caught his eye, and there were almost imperceptible nods from famine and pestilence. War turned in the saddle and spoke to his wife. "'Right now, dear. I'm not confused at all. Could you get down, please?' "'Remember what happened when—' Mrs. War began. "'Right now, please, my dear,' said War, and this time his voice, which was still calm and polite, had echoes of steel and bronze. "'Ah, uh, oh!' Mrs. War was suddenly flustered. "'That was just how you used to talk when—' She stopped, blushed happily for a moment, and slid off the horse. War nodded at death. "'And now—' You must all go and bring terror and destruction and so on and so forth, said the auditor. Correct? Death nodded. Floating in the air above him, the angel of the iron book slammed the pages back and forth in an effort to find his place. Exactly. Only while it is true we have to ride out, Death added, drawing his sword. It doesn't say anywhere against whom? Your meaning, hissed the auditor, but now there was a flicker of fear. Things were happening that it didn't understand. Death grinned. In order to fear, you had to be a me. Don't let anything happen to me. That was the song of fear. He means, said War, that he asked us all to think about whose side we're really on. Four swords were drawn, "'blazing along their edges like flame. four horses charged. "'The angel of the iron book looked down at Mrs. War. "'Excuse me,' he said, "'but do you have a pencil?' "'Susan peered around the corner into Artificer Street and groaned. "'It's full of them, and I think they've gone mad.' "'Unity took a look. "'No, they have not gone mad. "'They are being auditors.' They are taking measurements, assessing and standardising when necessary. They're taking up the paving slabs now. Yes, I suspect it is because they are the wrong size. We do not like irregularities. What the hell is the wrong size for a slab of rock? Any size that is not the average size. I'm sorry. The air around Susan flashed blue. She was very briefly aware of a human shape, transparent, spinning gently, which vanished again but a voice in her ear, in her ear, said, "'Nearly strong enough. Can you get to the end of the street?' "'Yes. Are you sure? You couldn't do anything to the clock before.' "'Before I was not me.' A movement in the air made Susan look up. The lightning bolt that had stood rigid over the dead city had gone. The clouds were rolling like ink poured into water. There were flashes within them, sulphurous yellows and reds.' The four horsemen are fighting the other auditors, Lobsang supplied. Are they winning? Lobsang did not answer. I said, It's hard for me to say. I can see everything. Everything that could be. Chaos listened to history. There were new words. Wizards and philosophers had found... Chaos, C-H, which is Chaos, K, with his hair combed and a tie on, and had found in the epitome of disorder a new order undreamed of. There are different kinds of rules. From the simple comes the complex, and from the complex comes a different kind of simplicity. Chaos is order in a mask. Chaos. Not dark, ancient chaos, 
left behind by the evolving universe, but new, shiny chaos, dancing in the heart of everything. The idea was strangely attractive, and it was a reason to go on living. Ronnie Soak adjusted his cap. Oh, yes, there was one last thing. The milk was always lovely and fresh. Everyone remarked on that. Of course, being everywhere at seven in the morning was no trouble to him. If even the Hogfather could climb down every chimney in the world in one night, doing a milk round for most of a city in one second was hardly a major achievement. Keeping things cool was, however, but there he had been lucky. Mr. Soak walked into the ice room, where his breath turned to fog in the frigid air. Churns were stacked across the floor, sparkling on the outside. Vats of butter and cream were piled on shelves that glistened with ice. Rack after rack of eggs were just visible through the frost. He'd been planning to add the ice cream business in the summer. It was such an obvious step. Besides, he needed to use up the cold. A stove was burning in the middle of the floor. Mr. Soak always bought good coal from the dwarfs, and the iron plates were glowing red. The room, one felt, ought to be an oven, but there was a gentle sizzling on the stove as frost battled with the heat. With the stove roaring, the room was merely an icebox. Without the stove... Ronnie opened the door of a white, rhymed cupboard and smashed at the ice within with his fist. Then he reached inside. What emerged, crackling with blue flame, was a sword. It was a work of art, the sword. It had imaginary velocity, negative energy and positive cold, cold so cold that it met heat coming the other way and took on something of its nature, burning cold. There had never been anything as cold as this since before the universe began. In fact, it seemed to chaos, everything since then had been merely lukewarm. "'Well, I'm back,' he said. The fifth horseman rode out, and a faint smell of cheese followed him. Unity looked at the other two, and at the blue glow that still hovered around the group. They had taken cover behind a fruit barrow. "'If I may make a suggestion,' she said, "'it is that... Uh, that auditors are not good with surprises. The impulse is always to consult, and the assumption is always that there will be a plan.' "'So,' said Susan, "'I suggest total madness. I suggest you and... and the... young man run for the shop, and I will attract the attention of the auditors. I believe this old man should assist me, because he will die soon in any case.' There was silence. "'Accurate, yet unnecessary,' said Lutze. "'That was not good etiquette,' she said. "'It could have been better. However, is it not written, "'When you have got to go, you have got to go,' said Lutze. "'And also that you should always wear clean underwear "'because you never know if you'll be knocked down by a cart.' "'Will it help?' said Unity, looking very puzzled. "'That is one of the great mysteries of the way,' said Lutze, nodding sagely. "'What chocolate do we have left?' "'We're down to the nougat now,' said Unity, "'and I believe nougat is a terrible thing to cover with chocolate "'where it can ambush the unsuspecting. "'Susan?' "'Susan was peering up the street. Mm -hmm. "'Do you have any chocolate left?' "'Susan shook her head. Mm -hmm. "'I believe you are carrying the cherry creams?' 
Susan swallowed, and then gave a cough that expressed, in a remarkably concise way, embarrassment and annoyance. "'I just had one!' she snapped. "'I need the sugar!' "'I'm sure no one said you did have more than one,' said Unity meekly. "'We haven't been counting at all,' said Lutzay. "'If you have a handkerchief,' said Unity, still diplomatically, "'I could wipe away the chocolate around your mouth, "'which must have inadvertently got there during the last engagement.' Susan glared and used the back of her hand. "'It's just the sugar,' she said. "'That's all. It's fuel. And, "'And do stop going on about it. "'Look, we can't just let you die to get—' "'Yes, we can,' said Lobsang. "'Why?' said Susan, shocked. "'Because I have seen everything.' "'Would you like to tell everyone?' said Susan, reverting to classroom sarcasm. "'We'd all like to know how this ends.' "'You misunderstand the meaning of everything.' Lutze rummaged in his sack of ammunition and produced two chocolate eggs and a paper bag. Unity went white at the sight of the bag. "'I didn't know we had any of those.' "'Good, are they?' "'Coffee beans, coated in chocolate,' breathed Susan. "'They should be outlawed.' The two women watched in horror as Lutze put one in his mouth. He gave them a surprised look. "'Quite nice, but I prefer licorice,' he said. "'You mean you don't want another one?' said Susan. "'No, thank you.' "'Are you sure?' "'Yes, I'd quite like licorice, though, if you have any.' "'Have you had some special monk training?' "'Well, not in chocolate combat, no,' said Lutze. "'But is it not written, if you have another one, "'you won't have an appetite for your dinner?' "'You really mean you will not eat a second chocolate coffee bean?' "'No, thank you.' Susan looked across at Unity, who was trembling. "'You do have taste buds, don't you?' she said. But she felt a pressure on her arm, pulling her away. "'You two get behind that cart over there and run when you get the signal,' said Lutze. "'Go now!' "'What signal?' "'We'll know,' said the voice of Lobsang. Lutze watched them hurry away. Then he picked up his broom in one hand and stepped out into the view of a street full of grey people. "'Excuse me,' he said. "'Could I have your attention, please?' "'What is he doing?' said Susan, crouching behind the cart. "'They're all going towards him,' said Lobsang. "'Some of them have weapons.' "'They'll be the ones giving the orders,' said Susan. "'Are you sure?' "'Yes. They've learned from humans. "'Auditors aren't used to taking orders. "'They need persuading.' "'He's telling them about Rule One, "'and that means he's got a plan. "'I think it's working.' "'Yes.' "'What's he done? What's he done?' "'Come on. He'll be fine.' "'Susan leapt up. "'Good.' "'Yes. They've cut his head off.' Fear, anger, envy, emotions bring you alive, which is a brief period just before you die. The grey shapes fled in front of the swords, but there were billions of them, and they had their own ways of fighting, passive, subtle ways. "'This is stupid!' Pestilent shouted. "'They can't even catch a common cold!' "'No soul to damn, no arse to kick!' said War, hacking at grey shreds that rolled away from his blade. "'They have a kind of hunger!' said Famine. I just can't find a way to get at it. The horses were reined in. The wall of greyness hovered in the distance and began to close in again. They are fighting back, said Death. Can you not feel it? I just feel we're too damn stupid, said War. And where does that feeling come from? 
"'Are you saying they're affecting our minds?' said Pestilence. "'We're horsemen. How can they do that to us?' "'We have become too human.' "'Us? Human? Don't make me laugh. "'Look at the sword in your hand,' said Death. "'Don't you notice anything?' "'It's a sword. Sword-shaped. Well, look at the hand.' Four fingers and a thumb, a human hand. Humans gave you that shape, and that is the way in. Listen. Do you four feel small in a big universe? That is what they are singing. It is big, and you are small, and around you there is nothing but the cold of space, and you are so very alone. The other three horsemen looked unsettled, nervous. "'That's coming from them,' said War. "'Yes, it is the fear and hatred that matter has for life, "'and they are the bearers of that hatred.' "'Then what can we do?' said Pestilence. "'There are too many of them.' "'Did you think that thought, or did they?' Death snapped. "'They're coming closer again,' said War. "'Then we will do what we can.' Four swords against an army? That'll never work! You thought it might a few moments ago. Who is talking for you now? Humans have always faced us, and they have not surrendered. Well, yes, said Pestilence, but with us they could always hope for a remission. Or a sudden truce, said War. Or, Famine began and hesitated, and said finally, A shower of fish? He looked at their expressions. "'That actually happened once,' he added defiantly. "'In order to have a change of fortune at the last minute, "'you have to take your fortune to the last minute,' said Death. "'We must do what we can.' "'And if that doesn't work,' said Pestilence. Death gathered up Binky's reins. The auditors were much closer now. He could make out their individual identical shapes, remove one and there were always a dozen more. Then we did what we could, he said, until we could not. On his cloud, the angel clothed all in white wrestled with the iron book. What are they talking about? said Mrs. War. I don't know, I can't hear, and these two pages are stuck together, said the angel. It scrabbled ineffectively at them for a moment. This is all because he wouldn't wear his vest, said Mrs. War firmly. It's just the sort of thing I... She had to stop because the angel had wrenched the halo from its head and was dragging it down the fused edge of the pages with sparks and a sound like a cat slipping down a blackboard. The pages clanged apart. Right, let's see. It scanned the newly revealed text. Done that, done that. Oh. It stopped and turned a pale face to Mrs. War. Oh, boy, it said. We're in trouble now. A comet sprang up from the world below, growing visibly larger as the angel spoke. It flamed across the sky, burning fragments detaching and dropping away, and revealing, as it closed with the horsemen, a chariot on fire. It was a blue flame, chaos burned with cold. The figure standing in the chariot wore a full-face helmet dominated by two eye-holes that looked slightly like the wings of a butterfly, and rather more like the eyes of some strange alien creature. The burning horse, barely sweating, trotted to a halt. 
the other horses, regardless of their riders, moved aside to make room. "'Oh, no!' said Famine, waving a hand in disgust. "'Not him, too! I said what had happened if he came back, didn't I? Remember that time he threw the minstrel out of the hotel window in Zock? Didn't I say—' "'Shut up!' said Death. He nodded. "'Hello, Ronnie. Good to see you. I wondered if you would come.' A hand, trailing cold steam, came up and removed the helmet. "'Hello, boys,' said Chaos pleasantly. "'A long time no see,' said Pestilence. War coughed. "'I heard you were doing well,' he said. "'Yes, indeed,' said Ronnie, in a careful tone of voice. "'There's a real future in the retail milk and milk derivatives business.' Death glanced at the auditors. They'd stopped moving in, but were circling watchfully. "'Well, the world will always need cheese,' said War desperately. (laughs) "'Ha-ha-ha!' "'Looks like there's some trouble here,' said Ronnie. "'We can handle—' Famine began. "'We can't,' said Death. "'You can see how it is, Ronnie. Times have changed. Would you care to sit in for this one?' "'Hey, we haven't discussed—' Famine began, but stopped when War glared at him. Ronnie Soak put on his helmet, and Chaos drew his sword. It glinted, and like the glass clock— looked like the intrusion into the world of something a great deal more complex. "'Some old man told me you live and learn,' he said. "'Well, I have lived, and now I've learned that the edge of a sword is infinitely long. I've also learned how to make damn good yoghurt, although this is not a skill I intend to employ today. Shall we go get them, boys?' Far down in the street a few of the auditors moved forward. "'What is Rule One?' said one of them. "'It does not matter. I am Rule One,' an auditor with a big axe waved them back. "'Obedience is necessary.' The auditors wavered, watching the cleaver. They'd learned about pain. They'd never felt pain before, not in billions of years. Those who had felt it had no desire at all to feel it again. "'Very well,' said Mr. White. "'Now get back to—' A chocolate egg spun out of nowhere and smashed on the stones. The crowd of auditors rippled forward, but Mr. White slashed the axe through the air a few times. "'Stand back! Stand back!' he screamed. "'You three, find out who threw that. It came from behind that stall. No one is to touch the brown material.' He stooped carefully and picked up a large fragment of chocolate, on which could just be made out the shape of a smiling duck in yellow icing. Hand shaking and sweat beading his forehead, he raised it aloft and flourished the cleaver triumphantly. There was a collective sigh from the crowd. "'You see,' he shouted, "'the body can be overcome. You see, we can find a way to live. If you are good, there may be brown material. If you disobey, there will be the sharp edge.' "'Ah!' He lowered his arms as a struggling unity was dragged towards him. "'The Pathfinder,' he said. "'The Renegade.' He walked towards the captive. "'What will it be?' he said. "'The Cleaver or the Brown Material?' "'It's called chocolate,' snapped Unity. "'I do not eat it.' "'We shall see,' Mr. White said. "'Your associate,' seemed to prefer the axe. 
he pointed to the body of Lutse, to the empty patch of cobbles where Lutse had been. A hand tapped him on the shoulder. Why is it, said a voice by his ear, that no one ever believes in rule one? Above him the sky began to burn blue. Susan sped up the street to the clock shop. She glanced sideways and Lobsang was there, running beside her. He looked human, except that not many humans had a blue glow around them. There'll be grey men around the clock, he shouted. Trying to find what makes it tick. Ha! Yes. What are you going to do? Smash it. That'll destroy history. So? He reached out and took her hand. She felt a shock run up her arm. You won't need to open the door. You won't need to stop. Head straight for the clock, he said. But don't talk to me. I've got to remember. Remember what? Everything. Mr. White was already raising the axe as he turned around. But you can't trust a body. It thinks for itself. When it is surprised, it does a number of things even before the brain has been informed. The mouth opens, for example. Ah, good, said Lutze, raising his cupped hand. Eat this. The door was no more substantial than mist. There were auditors in the workshop, but Susan moved through them like a ghost. The clock glowed, and as she ran towards it, it moved away. The floor unrolled in front of her, dragging her back. The clock accelerated towards some distant event horizon. At the same time, it grew bigger, but became more insubstantial, as if the same amount of clockness was trying to spread itself across more space. Other things were happening. She blinked, but there was no flicker of darkness. Ah, she said to herself, so I'm not seeing with my eyes. And what else? What's happening to me? My hand looks normal, but does that mean it is? Am I getting smaller or bigger? Does... Are you always like this? said the voice of Lobsang. Like what? I can feel your hand, and I can hear your voice. At least, I think I can hear it, but maybe it's just in my head. But I can't feel myself running. So, so analytical. Of course. What am I supposed to be thinking? Oh, my paws and whiskers? Anyway, it's quite straightforward. It's all metaphorical. My senses are telling me stories because they can't cope with what is really happening. Don't let go of my hand. It's all right. I won't let you go. I meant, don't let go of my hand, because otherwise every part of your body would be compressed into a space much, much smaller than an atom. Oh. And don't try to imagine what this really looks like from outside. Here comes the clock! Mr. White's mouth closed. His expression of surprise became one of horror, and then one of shock, and then one of terrible, wonderful bliss. He began to unravel. He came apart like a big and complex jigsaw puzzle made of tiny pieces, crumbling gently at the extremities, and then vanishing into the air. The last piece to evaporate was the lips, and then they too were gone. A half-chewed, chocolate-coated coffee bean dropped onto the street. Lutze reached down quickly, picked up the axe and flourished it at the other auditors. They leaned back out of the way, mesmerised by authority. "'Who does this belong to now?' he demanded. "'Come on, whose is it?' "'It is mine. I am Miss Tope,' shouted the woman in grey. "'I am Mr Orange, and it belongs to me. 
no one is even sure that taupe is a proper colour, screamed Mr. Orange. An auditor in the crowd said, rather more thoughtfully, Is it the case, then, that hierarchy is negotiable? Certainly not, Mr. Orange was jumping up and down. You have to decide it among yourselves, said Lutzay. He tossed the axe into the air. A hundred pairs of eyes watched it fall. Mr. Orange got there first, but Miss Tope trod on his fingers. After that, it became very busy and confusing, and, to judge by the sounds from within the growing scrum, also very, very painful. Lutzay took the arm of the astonished unity. "'How quickly they learn, eh?' he said. "'Best to let them sort it out themselves. No one will thank us for interfering.' There was a scream from somewhere in the mob. "'Democracy at work!' said Lutzay happily. He glanced up. The flames above the world were dying out, and he wondered who'd won. End of CD 9